Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Point Forward, a podcast that elevates the athlete conversation. Always above the rim, but never inbounds. I'm Andre Iguodala with my main man, Evan Turner. On today's show, we deep dive into sports media gatekeeping. The bear market blues, we discuss what the current market structure means and how it impacts all things investing. Plus, Virgil Abloh's legacy and the new Louis Vuitton Air Force Ones. And be sure to stick around for New Orleans Pelicans head coach Willie Green. He talks about his epic sideline playoff speech, how he builds culture with a young up-and-coming team, and how he fits his golf game into the busy schedule. You know, I might want to go to the golf course and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, say, hey, I'm taking Mason to the golf course to work with him. <laughs> Mason got game. <laughs> but I got my clubs in the back too. They don't, she, don't, she don't know I'm playing. Strap up those little ass Birkenstocks. It's point forward. Point forward. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Of the game. All right, E.T., Pat Bev, you know, Patrick Beverly, who we know, he's from West Side Chicago. He had himself a pretty good week, I would say, but he was a little bit all over the place on ESPN. You know, he had a bunch of viral clips, mostly about CP3. I do think he did a great job talking about basketball, letting the audience know that he has a great basketball knowledge, but the CP3 thing eh, was here and there. Guys like Matt Barnes and, and Paul George, they stated that, you know, he crossed the line from commentary to straight up disrespect. And that got me thinking about gatekeeping. So, E.T., who should be allowed to talk about professional sports? Man, to be completely honest, I always said that if you need, like, a thesaurus. You need, <laughs> yeah, no, no, if you need a degree to go go somewhere and go work at this job, ah. shit, you need some type of history to legit start talking sports. You legit have beat writers that never played a down, never scored a bucket, never played a sport. Somebody just told them they was cute and legit or or whatever it is, and they're legitimately taking over and teaching people about the game or trying to tell them about the game they're watching. There, it's literally, it doesn't make any sense. It's wrong. It's like false advertising. Yeah. The people that should... That should play this talk sports or allowed to talk sports are legitimately the people who have actually played the sports for 10,000 plus hours. Yeah. Competition wise. So we so you get the real conversation and stuff out. Not like a journalist that went to school and rolled a dice on if you if you want to live in LA and talk about soccer or lacrosse or live in Boston and talk basketball. Like, no, bro, like. Shout out to Nick Wright. Do whatever you do. You're doing your thing. But come on, bro. Like, let's have honor amongst these, man. Like, if I break that down for me, I think 
you know, you use that term and it hits home when I hear it, but some folks, it may not hit home for them. Explain to me what honor amongst thieves means. Just honor amongst thieves, like just governing yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. not using whatever escape you can actually use, like the dude Grant Cohn, when he's arguing with, you know, my man from the 49ers, to be like, well, technically this or technically that. Like, no, legit, what is it? Do you know sports? Are you a reparable source? Have you been through the trenches? Do you even know what you're talking about? Do you know how hard it is to hit a 24-foot three? Right. Do you know any of that? Right. If you don't know that, then don't be covering it because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. But I, but I got to I got to you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, for sure. You I, have to I'm because playing, at the end of the day, I'm being extreme. No, no, no. No, you're not. You're not being extreme. I uh, agree with you, but there is a skill set to reporting. There is a skill set to journalism. I think the issue, we've talked about this in, in our previous episode with, uh, you know, Blood on the Leaves episode where there has to be some type of gatekeeping in journalism. You know, I was having a great conversation. Yeah. I was having a great conversation with uh, – Marcus Thompson, and we were having okay. a, we were having a conversation about someone's Twitter past being brought back to light, <laughs> and it yeah. got kind of wild. And this was a you know a gentleman that looks like us, African American, and it was wild. And we won't bring that up uh, because that's what they do to us is, is throw our, our dirt yeah. in our face. So I'll leave it at that. But he brought up a great point. He said. And and this wasn't a shot at that guy or his family. It was more or less we had really professional journalists where we were growing up. And as the yeah. game got more and more international, uh, more global, more coverage, we're expanding to different countries. You're seeing these outrageous um, TV deals. And live streaming is a big thing. Social media is a big thing. Uh, the voice of the fan, getting closer to the fan. Because that's a big yeah. part. That's a really big part of uh, scaling a company is your engagement with your customer. Like that seems to be right. what Web 2 is or what Web 3.0 is going to become is you're right. going straight to the consumer. There is no middleman. You know, you don't have to go through an advertising agency or you don't have to go through a marketing agency. You can go directly to your fan. All the data is right there for you. And we're more tuned in to what they're saying. Therefore, you're getting Mm -hmm. these characters that come from that era and they're monetizing uh, the growth of the game. And that's where we're at. So going back to what Marcus Thompson was saying is we don't have these reputable journalists anymore. Nobody's creating these boundaries and say, hey, you don't step out of this this ethics box. You know, like, where, where are your values? Yeah, because it's only governed against the players that are people at the top of your hand. For decorum. Like, for decorum. Yeah, for our, yeah, the decorum. <laughs> only, only our union says you can't say this or say that. Or only our union says, yo, take it easy or do this. There's nobody at the newspaper saying it. Correct. Egg them on. Get right. them upset. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll look at articles. I'm like, bro, do rent must have been due. Because there's no way. No, it's funny, but it's not. Because, like, there's no way with anybody with integrity or you go to school or anything else like that, they're teaching you just to put out this nonsense or it's okay to put out a false report or it's okay to put out something that's half true yeah. on another person's life. That happened to us in the Memphis series. Somebody misreported something on the faces of our league, and it's, it's hurt, it hurt me because it's like, now we got to look at you like you're an outsider, and they're going to say it's not right, and why you do this person like that? But it's no, you false reported something. 
There's consequences and repercussions to all our actions, even when we make mistakes. Well, it's, it's, it applies to y'all too. Yeah, but at the same time, what they don't comprehend is never underestimate how dumb people are in this world or how much people really don't care. So when it comes down to it, when you're reporting something, mm -hmm. half the people don't comprehend this philosophy of believe half of what you see and none, none of, what of what you, you hear. hear. So when you start to sit here and do all that, it's like you could put out a bad report. Your company in Philly, tons of people put out reports, and it's coming at people's character. Yeah, it's yeah. it's messing up their future earnings. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You can leave there, and people are like, oh, I thought you were a butthole or a jerk off, whatever else. Like, no, that's the energy you walk into in yeah. an area of Philly because they call themselves brotherly love, and that's what they do. Yeah, they have the microphone. That's why I like the fact of us sitting here or even Pat Bev saying what he wants to say or Draymond Green saying what he wants to say is so you can hear it from the horse's mouth and have defense, not have some rando that knows nothing about you disrespecting yeah. you and embarrassing your name, your family's name, your kid's name or whatever else, all because of the ignorant basis of what they have. There's nobody that played basketball. Like there's people that play basketball that barely know basketball. So there's nobody that just crossed over. And know, just knows more about sports. Or, like, if you, or if you cross over to this side or anything, you know half the reports that you read is cap. Right. Like, legit, like, bro, this is so fake. This is so false. This is so phony. They're literally making up whatever to have a topic. So yeah. you're having a topic with the outside world based on what you think. The arrogance in that alone is crazy. Like, you don't have to be a judge no more. Go be a media person. You're going to call your own shots. Like, like, you, like you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's how ridiculous it is. Go, go be a media person. So you, can, so you can call your own shots. When you lie, you get confronted. What do you do? You play them like the black dumb athlete card. Right, right. Yeah, that card gets pulled plenty. It's pulled all the time, but it's like you have an expert arguing with a novice. Yeah. Like, shout out to Nick Wright or whatever. No matter if they're the worst player in the NBA, this is a pro and expert arguing with the novice yeah and there's no other way to look at it i can go argue with my finance advisor all the time why i should be able to buy this but at the same time when it comes down i might not know as much about money as him right one of my favorite coaches henry Bibby, used to say get your effing money that's what it's all about guns and butter baby little dumb motherfuckers Dre, you know we want to do an episode without a little bit of guns and butter. Oh, for sure. Well, listen, so recently the stock market took a huge hit. We've entered a bear market. And for as long as I've known you, you've kind of been on a Marshawn Lynch kick with uh, protect your mental and save your chicken. So for the common man that doesn't really know what that means, can you break it down and also tell us how that changes things? I got the micro and the macro for you all. We're in interesting times, and uh, this is the second time I've gone through it. Uh, being an NBA player, you know, the market crashed in 2008. Right now, uh, I would say it's, it's it's different, but it's not as different. Where we're at is we got, I would say, three different things that are causing a lot of fear in the market. COVID and PPP loans and forgiveness. And with everyone being so excited about the markets, you know, after, you know, the government was, you know, uh, putting money out into the street and loans were very cheap. That's the other part of the puzzle. Interest rates were very low, but then something happened. Everything has to correct itself. And when you put a bunch of money out there, you can't just keep printing money because if you keep printing money, your money's going to become what? Supply and demand. When you put too much out of money out there, it cheapens the money because people that have access to it shouldn't have access to it in terms of the weight of the dollar, not in terms of 
I'm not saying everyone shouldn't have money, but the weight of the dollar goes down because it's too much of it. And we're in a supply and demand crunch with the logistics issue that we're going through right now. So we're having trouble with uh, shipping and that's from COVID, you know, with China being shut down and a lot of our uh, goods being produced in China. And then you have a war going on, uh, which is a part of the, the gas issue that we're having. And also you have this thing called inflation. Inflation has been pretty tricky to describe, but essentially uh, inflation means uh, it's the broad rise of prices or the fall in the value of money. Now, example, new and used auto prices. Sure. We've been talking about cars. Car prices have been going crazy, and then used cars have been uh, going up in, in, in price, which is yeah. very rare historically. Um, I think right, it was- they can't get it from across the waters, right? Correct. So it's very- interesting how we're starting to more and more understand what's going on in the stock market. So meat and eggs is a big barometer in terms of how much uh, inflation is really affecting our economy because everyone needs meat and eggs. You know, like everyone's not going to buy a car or everyone's not going to buy a Rolex watch because they're, right. they're more valuable than ever now. But everybody needs meat and eggs. Um, now everyone's selling off all their stocks. They're saying, hey, I'm getting hit. I'm afraid to lose more. So let me sell it. That is all essentially a bear market. All right, so Andre, is this a moment where you might stick to your guns, even though they might go down? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I follow, we just spoke about this in terms of who's the expert in our field. And you just said, you know, I might want to buy something, but my financial advisor is the expert. So, you know, it might be hard for me to go against him. And historically, who's one of the smartest collectors of currency? It's Warren Buffett. And his model has always been, buy low, sell high, but not necessarily. But we're at a low, buy low. And he's always saying, he always takes advantage of bear markets because he can find great companies for cheap. Because there's a lot of right. good companies out there who are your staple companies that will be around for the next 10 years. That's his thing. When you invest in something, ask yourself this first, will this company be around in 10 years? If you can truly say yes to that, that's where you want to put your money because it's a long game. It's a long game. And yeah. it's a lot of great companies out there. And the overall uh, market is pushing everything down. But there's some good companies out there you can get for cheap or you can get on a bargain. It's just like, you know, you know, we both into watches. And you can there's a retail price and there's a market price. And when you can get retail prices, when you got a retail plug, it's like it's like the drug game. Yeah. You got the plug, I can get a key for 10-5, but on the street it's worth. 25. I don't know why I'm explaining that, but that's the word. I've been watching a lot of snow. Nah, it's perfect, man. I've been watching a lot of snowfall. If you got a plug, if you got a retail guy, that's where you want to buy. And right now we're in a market where you're getting retail prices. And, you know, before you know it, the, the market's going to react to it and the, the price is going to go back up. Um, but I think right now we're in a little bit of a correction as well. So I think the market goes down a little bit more, maybe, uh, you know, a couple percentage points down further. But I don't think we're in a crash. I still think we have a lot of great companies. Um, and then we're just trying to figure out the supply issues that we're having. Um, it's interesting to me with the war. It seems like anytime a company doesn't do well now, they got a built in excuse. It's a war going on and, and they're messing up our supply chain. They're messing up our money. Everything's all the whack because of the war. That's low key what Pat Bev was saying about CP3. And people was <laughs> getting mad at it, talking about the hamstring and everything else. So, like, 
Right. But I think this is all funny. This is this is where I like our conversations going when we can go from guns and butters and talking about the stock market and it comes right back to basketball. Um, but hopefully yeah. hopefully y'all y'all understand the flow. For our final topic, we wanted to give love and respect to a giant in the fashion industry. Left us far too soon. Virgil Abloh, the late designer from Rockford, Illinois, has been in the news recently with the posthumous launch of his signature Louis Vuitton at Nike Air Force Ones. E.T., being a sneakerhead, give me your take on the shoes. I think the shoes, I like to collab, honestly. I'm, I'm, I think it's pretty dope how Virgil has always been a, you know, an innovator and always crossing you know, high fashion. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, with normal brands, they kind of, for the most part, we relate to the black people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of his stuff you kind of see, it's knockoff from stuff that we somewhat grew up, or samples from stuff we somewhat grew up off of, of, you know, like a pair of kicks I have from his first collection. They remind me of the Avias from Target when we right, were shorties. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. The only ones we could afford. Right. You know, one thing I think is it kind of shows like your connection and what he's able to do and kind of link big brands. But with those big brands, you you link people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. From all walks of life. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to go to a Louis Vuitton show December 4th in Miami when they threw it shortly after um, Virgil died. And what was so cool was the demographic of people. Right. And, you know, um, you see all the stuff is colorful and everything else like that. But it's kind of like when you showed up, it was like one big rainbow of people from all walks of life that was kind of relating. And, and, you know, we we're bonding over fashion and bonding over, you know, some of our favorite pieces from this genius. You know, one mm-hmm. thing, I, the only thing I don't like about the Nike Louis Vuitton collab is um, how few sizes they made. <laughs> you know, I, I've been like, it's pissing me off, bro. Like right now I got on a friends and family list, right? Mm-hmm. And they told me, like, take your top five, choose the top five you want, and then um, you'll probably be able to get a pair of one of those shoes. Right. You understand? Right. So as of yesterday, I get hit up by my Louis Vuitton rep, and he's like, hey, man, they only made up to a size 10. You feel me? And I'm like, and most of them, I'm like, bro, how is that possible? Or like, how did y'all not tell us that? Like, I've been buying tons of stuff from the Virgil collection. You feel me? Right. I think they lying to you, but continue. No, they lying or not, it's it's all cap at the end of the day. Like right. at the end of the day, like I'm I'm sick. Like they whatever they took that was beautiful, they finessed it and, and hoarded out per usual, dog. Because uh-huh. at the end of the day, I only want to tell you how much I spent on Louis since 2018, since Virgil joint first dropped, since that collection first dropped. But it's like, all right, bro, I know I don't know much, but my name, I know my name is Evan Turner. I'm a black man in America. And I know I didn't spent enough Louis to make sure I get a pair of Nike Air Force Ones Louis Vuitton. So, like, all the hype and everything is lit, bro, but I don't know what they're doing because at the end of the day, I'm not getting my pair. They sent out a bunch of friends and families to a bunch of randos. They weren't randos. They were popping people. They were influencers or whatever else. Like, right. shout out to, you know, DJ Khaled and them. But it's like, nah, bro, I'm not happy as a consumer, bro. I'm going to be completely honest because how can you not get a shoe? How can you go get drugs before you buy you're able to buy a shoe and that's before resale fam yeah well the shoes is going for like like they'll probably be twenty thousand dollars once they hit the market true story and and as a nike as a former nike athlete i uh i struggled to get the nike yeezy drops because uh it was different division there was the uh, sports division there's an the entertainment division and here's where my problem lies but they don't tell you that while you're buying all that stuff this is what i'm telling you true they, they true. know that and then before before they even drop the nike stuff when they said they were supposed to drop it, it came out to be a raffle. Louis Vuitton, you wanted riches? 
why would I raffle some shoes you know I'm supposed to get, bro? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, why? Like, it's like, it's like, it's like Kevin Garnett and Uncut Gems. Like, why the fuck would you show me some shit if I can't buy it? Ah, and that's it, bro. And, and, at the end of the day, bro, they use this is a beautiful collab. It's an unbelievable collab, but it's another situation of an enterprise finessing the culture and over and just the culture and lying, bro. The people that are gonna get these shoes ain't even gonna be black, probably. Now, there's my problem, right? And I don't want to make it about this, but it'd be some traces of it in there. You know what I'm saying? It all it nah, all goes bro, back to what, right? We always say it goes back to slavery, right? Slavery. <laughs> but no, nah, but the way but they, seeing, they, they do we're, the culture, we're, I am not a fan of in terms. No, it's bogus, bro. Bro, it's remember Spencer Haddleman. Shout out Spencer Haddleman. He's one of our favorite guys from the temple. And um, <laughs> you know, but when we were but a couple of years ago when people were arguing about like, hey, what about you know the black consumer? Like the black consumer brings in this much money or that much money, or yada, you know, like they tell everything else, like with the NBA front office. Oh no, no, that doesn't matter. Your experience or this doesn't matter. It's it's about you know what the consumers want. And it's like, okay, so in the grand scheme of things, you're pretty much saying that, like, we haven't gotten taken into consideration because, long story short, they don't want to drown out Louis on black skin. Or th- that's the ignorant or small minded standpoint of what I'm taking from it. But then when something hits from the culture, the people from the culture can't even get it. Yeah. The same people, they're like, don't we a rock Nike Air Force Ones are going to be at some random ass golf course or whatever else rocking it. This, Chris Jenner in up, adding Jordan to their culture. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? 100%. Like, I'm not knocking it. Rock out, but it's like, come on, bro. This, I, I don't even care if I didn't get the shoe, but it's so much underlying stuff that co- comes from it. It's like, fam. I, like, I, I, I yelled at my rep, like, why the hell would I do all this or get this to a level and, or spend all this money and then you're going to shut the door on me or tell me this isn't, I can't purchase this. That's historically that is, how the th- system has been Nah, and this is coming, and, and I'm not, and my fault, Dre, I'm taking over no, and screaming no, dude, go and going ahead. crazy, this but, your like, lane. but like, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, th- this is my lane, as a sneakerhead, like, I felt like I've been cheated by Louis, very least, in a sense, I felt like I've been finessed, like, do you understand what I'm saying? Hey, they only going up to a size 10. Right. What the fuck is we talking about? <laughs> he lying, my guy. Let's, but, but, am, let's, bro, am I bugging, bro? No, let's go back. Bro, let's, am let's, I wilding for saying this? My no, fault, you're, you're not wilding. I just got more questions for you. You know, how has Virgil influenced you and what are some of the things you, you know, you appreciate the most from Virgil, your favorite pieces or his your favorite collab from him? Because he was able to, like you said, being at the Louis Vuitton um, fashion show and you just seen it was a rainbow of people, yeah. that never really happened before. Like you had to be sealed to get in the dough, you know, 20, <laughs> yeah. 30 years ago. You know, it wasn't it wasn't even common for us to be at, you know. Yeah. But shout out to David Stern too. You know, he put that dress code in and he and we and we said, all right, we're gonna turn up how we know how to turn up. We're gonna get it off regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Well I, I think one thing that was dope was Virgil pretty much introduced Chicago street street style to the world. Yep. And as a you know a Chicago and I really appreciate that. The Buck fifties? The Buck fifty hats, like all that, bro. Like Bro, it's nothing like a Chicago dude. We have our moments, but man, we be jiggy. But <laughs> but like, but like, what I'm saying is like, I think one thing I appreciate about Virgil that his presence and you know his energy and uh, the limits he is willing to push, I think drop ignorance, drop the ignorance of what we could do, or you know, bringing that streetwear style or bringing people that look like us through the door. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. You mix in Virgil during a time where you also have. 
Jerry Lorenzo. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And during that time, I think those dudes did a lot of great things to open up the world and showing people, you know, the the typical black style or whatever else, which is no different than, you know, it appeals all the time, clearly. Right. Because right now, Louis Vuitton's going crazy. Off-White's going crazy. This idea of pushing the folds of just everything was so colorful. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He put flair and style to the LV pattern to the point now it's forever changed. Now people are like, you go into LV and they're like, well, that's not typically how we do stuff. This isn't typically how we do stuff. It all pretty much looked the same, but now it's got a little seasoning, a little flavor, and it's like- Some seasoning. That type of sauce. <laughs> no, it's just the truth. That type of sauce will never be changed, bro. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast. And yes, we are in the thick of the college hoop season. Our pod runs at least three times a week and covers everything you need to know. From the power conference team to the mid-majors, the scoops, the stories, game predictions, previews, huge recaps, everything. We cover it all. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your pods. Just a disclaimer, we're in the hotel lobby as we fight for Western Conference Championship and it's a bit of uh, the Warriors uh, circus that's on the outside, if y'all hear any outside noise, but that won't distract us from one of the top motivators, one of the you know strongest foundation with his faith and who he is as a person to his players and the other coaches across the league. You know, uh, just really excited about this guy's progressions and becoming an African-American coach in the NBA coming from where he came from, spent 12-year career uh, in the NBA from Detroit, went to Detroit Mercy, had the opportunity to have a practice there. You know, uh, <laughs> they, they celebrated you right, but they still got some more celebrating uh, for what you're going to continue to accomplish uh, just for yourself and for your community. Um, had a chance to be your teammate for some years, which was uh, got a chance to really know you, really appreciate you. And uh, ET, be our teammates for about Couple, couple weeks, like couple yeah, weeks, like man. A, couple a weeks. month tops. That, yeah, that was my bet. <laughs> we used to work out every day, every morning. Yep. Him and uh, his son Ross, yep. mm-hmm. we would hang out. And Doug Collins came in and, and delivered some bad news <laughs> during a pickup game. Remember that? I remember that like it was yesterday, 2010. That yep. was crazy. Yeah. Yep. So, audience, welcome Willie Green to the show. Um, thanks for coming. Thanks for giving us your time. 
you know, at Point Forward, we like to dive in uh, beyond basketball. You know, we're going to talk about basketball, but peel back the layers of it all. You know, where you come from, you know, your progressions. You know, you got two titles as a coach with the Warriors. You know, then you went to the finals, you know, with um, Monty Williams with the Phoenix Suns and his assistant, and then now you're taking over the New Orleans Pelicans. And uh, I just remember that amazing speech you gave to the fellas that playing game against the Clippers. Everybody bring it in. You took the best punch. It's a 10-point game going in the fourth quarter. Okay? Get your freaking heads up. This is what we live for. This is what we worked hard for. Okay? We ain't giving it up. We are not freaking giving this up. You got to freaking fight. You got to fight. Just to go back, I think people want to know, you know, kind of our, our relationship. E.T. kind of spoke about it, but uh, just us being teammates and just appreciating you. I, I don't know if I've ever been able to tell you that, but uh, just that toughness. I wrote, I wrote about it in my book, The Sixth Man. You know, <laughs> when uh, Coach uh, Jim O'Brien, you got yeah. busted upside the nose, and he was like, uh, he's from Detroit. He'll be all right. And you went back out there and just hooped, you know. And then I, I, I've seen you handle yourself like a grown man, you know, being in actual battles against our opponent or being in actual fights. You know, there aren't many fights in the NBA anymore. And I've seen you scuffle, handle it, dap up the teammate you scuffle with. And, you know, I, I look back and was like, that was the way you're supposed to handle it. You know what I mean? Like, we get out the way and then we, we back to being teammates after that. And... Uh, that was something that I really appreciated. But just kind of take us back uh, and give us a quick synopsis of uh, who you are and kind of your background. First of all, thank thank you guys, uh, Dre, E.T., for having me on. It's humbling and it's also a pleasure. But just go just to go back, obviously, our days in Philly mean a lot to me. That's where uh, we, we got our start. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew right away when Andre was on our team, he, he was going to be a special player. It was just a matter of us moving out his way so he can he can blossom as much as he needed to because his first game in summer league, I knew, I said, man, this dude is, he different. And and that's really what is it's about. Um, being in the NBA, we all come in, coming from college with a pedigree, uh, but you, you got to learn mm -hmm. right real quick when you get to an NBA team, how do you get on the floor? How do you stay on the floor? And how do you help your team team win games? And for me, it was about bringing a level of toughness defensively, uh, being able to knock down shots, but just making the right plays over and over again. You know, we had AI and a number of other guys that could score, and they didn't need that from, from me. And, and then just understanding right, right. the team, our team concept. Uh, we had a, a, a ton of guys that we could all play, uh, but just mm -hmm. trying to complement each other so that we could be the best possible team. But – you know, like you said, I started, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my uncle Gary Green uh, had a huge, had a huge role in my life in, in terms of uh, putting the ball in my hands and working with me every day. That's my dad's brother. Uh, he, he passed away during COVID, but he had a huge impact on me and helping me understand how to be fundamental, the IQ portion of basketball, which is very important. Uh, and yep. then, you know, and ensuring that I have a level of toughness because he, he understood that I was going to need that moving forward. So with that, everything that he taught you, your uncle Gary Green, were you sitting there always knowing that you wanted to go to the NBA and then become an NBA coach? What kind of drove that? Was it like an IQ thing or was it something that just crept up on you? You know what, E.T., I, that was never in my mind that I was going to play in the NBA. Right. I mean, 
you have a you have a goal and vision, but mm-hmm. you know, I tell people my progression was like, okay, I'm in high school. All right, I want to start on varsity. I yeah. want to go to college and play on ESPN. And it just led from there. The NBA was never, I, I would say it was a goal, but it was never in the forefront. It was always, how can I be the best player where I am now? Uh, and I've always been a, a thinker of the game. Um, I like to be able to know what is happening, know how to read plays, know how to execute plays. And it helps you on both ends of the floor. I think we talked about this. You know, we had our first live session last night with Kavon Looney. And he's saying a lot of similar things you are right now in terms of, you know, his his nickname was Baby KD when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. He was a top three, top five player in the country. And he said, I came to the Warriors and it wasn't no guarantee that I was going to play, especially coming off the injuries that he had in college. And he said, I just had to figure out a way. All right, let me look around. How can I get on the floor? All right, we kind of thin with our big, so I got to go down there and do some heavy lifting. And I think that speaks to guys like you, guys like Loon who have that IQ in terms of like how to get on the floor and, and the things that don't show up on the stat sheet. Because you know it's that fine line between the real talented guys and for some reason they just can't cut it. And then other guys, it's like, well, that guy doesn't seem as talented. We never heard of him and he's playing well. Right. And, you know, I always enjoy seeing guys that have a v- appreciation for the game, like yourself, like Loon. They get in there and do their thing, and people are like, oh, he can really play. It's, you know, all of us can play, but it's that, those small things that separate yeah. you. So talking to you as a coach, you've done a, a hell of a job with the motivation, and you got a team full of guys where you got your, your, your special players, your Brandon Ingrams, you know, your Zion Williamsons, um, but then you've got some young cats that just – put a stamp on it this year. You know, Al- Alvarado, yeah. this dude became a household name by hustling. And kind of talk to us, uh, do you look for that? Or are there people where, are there guys and you have to motivate to kind of get them to get outside the comfort zone of being a role player? For the most part, we we have it. We have guys um, that have a really good understanding for who they are um, and, and mm-hmm pretty secure in who they are. Um, mm-hmm. That's big. And you, you guys know that's important when, when you're trying to yes. become a really good team or be, we're, we're trying to become a solid team is having mm-hmm. guys that have a, have a great understanding of who they are as basketball players and as people, uh, high character guys and high IQ. And for the most part, we have that now. It took some work on my part, our, our coaching staff, trying to simplify things mm-hmm. for guys um, so that they can go on the floor and honestly concentrate on the things that they do very well and, you know, maybe make one improvement, but that was our focus. Okay. You're in the NBA for a reason. What is the reason? Yep. You don't need to, you don't need to do everything because we got guys that can score. We got guys that can rebound, but what can you bring to the table? That's going to keep you on the floor. And more importantly, your teammates can trust, trust you and your coaching staff can trust you on the floor when, when the minutes are earned. Is that how you like evaluate yourself? Because you started off the season one one and thirteen, so were you kind of like, what am I doing wrong? Do I have to go back to the drawing board? Is it my adjustments? Is it my rotations? Like, how did you step up and take a one and thirteen team to a, a playoff run that had the whole world, you know, behind them? It's a constant self check, uh, number one. Yeah. So after every game, you guys know as a player when you play well, even in a loss, you, I mean, it's it's tough, but you you yeah. you don't you feel okay? Like you know what? I I gave him yeah. my all. I played well. Yeah. 
as a coach, you feel bad every loss. Yeah. It don't matter how yeah. good <laughs> how good the team played. You just feel you just you just like this sucks. Um, yeah. But during those stretches, I'll say this. You know, it takes unbelievable character across the board to go through a stretch like that and, and stay together. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. it's a credit to, uh, like I said, our coaching staff, our organization, management, our players, our performance team, everybody just stayed together. The energy in our gym didn't change. You could walk in our gym after a loss. Once we get going, you would know that we lost last night. And that was important for us as a young team um, because we, we have to be the same way win, lose, or draw. We got to come out, play the same way, compete at a high level, and uh, just believing in each other that the results will come. It, it'll take some time, but they will come. We just got to stay with it. Now, I got a, I got a light question for you, funny one. And uh, I think we were texting about it. When you get that job as a head coach, you know, and, and we'll go back after this and how you got the job in the process. But when you get that job, what does your phone look like? And tell people what what goes on oh, when man. a guy gets a head coaching job and how like the floodgates. It's like getting drafted in the league. You kind of walk us through or walk the folks through that. Because it makes it tough for people that just want to congratulate you. Yeah. It's like, hey, bro, I don't want shit. <laughs> Congratulations. That's it. <laughs> well, you you know real quick like who the guy who the people are that's just congratulating you and like who the people are that's yeah. positioning. And um, yeah. oh, okay. you know, so you got to sift through three hundred whatever amount of text messages and you know you try to respond back to people so they don't think you're acting funny even though right. even though you got a lot on your plate and you're trying to get stuff done and sometimes you might miss a text message but uh your phone is going crazy and, and it's it and you know what it's love it's for the most part yeah. it's all love people actually care about you they're happy to see you doing well um you'll have some people asking some crazy questions like hey <laughs> Uh, I'm flying into New Orleans next week. With, you know, you think you can hire me? And I'm like, <laughs> I just got to know. <laughs> no, and that's what's crazy because people are like, yo, can you throw me the lob with a yeah. coaching job? Yeah. You mean like a quarter million dollar job a year? That's what you want me yeah. to connect you yeah. with? Like that don't grow on trees. And ET, to your point, it's hard to explain that to people that there's a there's a, 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 a order to it, a level of command um, that it'll take to get you in that position. But you know what you've been doing for the last few years. That's the first question, and then are you qualified? And if you are, okay, we yeah. can we can talk about it. But you know, it's, sometimes it can be hard when you when you first get the job. But it's it's once again, it's all love, and you guys know what I mean. We can sit back and laugh at some of those text messages. Uh, yeah. So, at what point when you talk about qualified, you're on a bench with uh, Monty Williams and Steve Kerr. You had tons of success as an assistant. When did you become confident? You know, to steer your own ship. And to go into a situation like New Orleans, a rebuilding situation, talk to an owner and be like, hey, I'm the guy to change the culture. I'm the guy to change the franchise. Because that takes a lot of confidence to do. It does. And um, if I'm being honest with you, I, I wasn't necessarily for sure that I portrayed that confidence. Um, I went into the job. I went into the interview trying to be the best version of me. And. You know, it's being honest, asking, asking some tough questions about what has happened here in the past. What am I walking into? Mm. Um, because there's a lot of unknowns when you become a head coach. And then, you know, uh, just just talking about, in my opinion, how close this team was to being very good. Uh, they remind me of our my first year in Phoenix with uh, Devin Booker and 
DeAndre Aiden. We was able like to get that. Ricky Rubio and it helped us become a better team and young McHale and young Cam Johnson. So they had a, it was a lot of similarities there. I spoke about that in the interview process. But more importantly than anything, I talked about, you know, who I was as a God-fearing man and then having a partnership. And, and I think that's right. important. It, it, the days of coaches coming in and I'm doing it my way and everybody get out the way, it's, it still happens. But I prefer to do things with the level of connectivity and, and a partnership across the board. I think it goes smoother. Um, that way. And, and, I, and I sold them on that. Like, hey, this is a partnership. Mm -hmm. This won't just be me. Every time I get up here and talk, I'll talk about our group. And I don't really want the credit. I, I just want to do the best that I can to help our team be better. But more right. importantly, we should all leave here as better men and as better people. So you say something about a like better man and better, better people. Sometimes you see head coaches somewhat having a split their job up from being a head coach to sometimes being a, a public voice. How do you take your standpoint on that in regards to, you know, the politics and, you know, the local injustices or whatever might that, you know, arise as a coach? If it speaks to me, then I'll speak on something that directly yeah. like it's, it's a part of who I am. If it's outside of who yeah. I am, I, you right. know, it may impact another coach differently and they'll yeah. speak on it. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing is, when I do talk about something, it has to be something relative to who I am as a person um, and, right. and just try to be honest with with that aspect of my voice. Um, other than that, you know, people can see right through it. And, I, and I'm not a politician by no means. And uh, yeah, of course, not. I love being on the floor. I love being in the gym. I love coaching. And uh, obviously that comes with platform. And I, and I just try to be really mindful of what I'm saying when I have the microphone in front of me. Now, I, I appreciate that, too, because it's a sincerity and honesty there. And in terms of, you know, I've heard you say, you know, I've made a ton of mistakes along the way. Um, what were some of the things you realized in your own strategy or coaching style, or, you know, along the ups and the downs? Well, I've said this to our, our vice president, David Griffin, a number of times in Trajan. Coming into this season, you know, the first, I, I say all the training camp and pretty much all the preseason I didn't do a great job of um, preparing our team. Mm -hmm. You know, you you come in and you you almost like the mindset is okay. These are pros; they they get it. They they know what they know what's coming. They know what you know. They should be know what's expected of them. Uh, but they needed. I needed to do a, a, a bit more, and I didn't realize that into our our last preseason game. Right. And then once I realized, like, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, the practices changed in terms of the intensity, in terms of my teaching. I had to stretch myself a lot more. And so going back, looking back at that, I, I think that's an area where I could have been better from the start. Mm -hmm. But yet and still, those, those are things that you, you don't know and it's, it's difficult sometimes to prepare for. All right. So I, I like what you just said in terms of, you know, things you had to work on going into the preseason. And you said you had a lot of work to do. Yeah. The league is different now from when we came in. For sure. You know, even when E.T. came in under Doug Collins, we had practices, practices. You know, Jim O'Brien, we had taped shoot-arounds. Yeah. And this <laughs> new era, it's crazy, right? This new era is, you know, load management, uh, protect the guys' bodies. You know, I heard Jalen Rose talking about it the other day, and he, he put it so eloquently in terms of 
you know, the way they're, they're officiating the game, the rule changes, it's all for the long, longevity of the players. You know, uh, less contact, less hits, less injuries, and that goes into the whole culture with practices. So with you saying you had to readjust and you had to get more focused because you said the guys weren't ready, how were you able to uh, adjust with also this new culture, new era of lighter practices in mind? You know, kind of walk us through without giving too much of your yeah. of your game plan. Like what were some of the things that you were able to do to get them more focused, but at the same time kind of fit in with the culture? Uh, it's a direct partnership and, and open communication with our performance team and uh, medical team. Yep. So mm -hmm. I went to them and just said, look, we're a young team. Everybody's young in their 20s. We got to practice. Uh, yep. We're just not a team that can go uh, days and and have walkthroughs and things like that. We're not we're not good enough yet. So he agreed. Uh, we we talked about ways in which we could have, you know, sort of harder practices, harder days. But mm -hmm. even on the light days, we still could have some live work. And yep. we're a better team when when we do those things. And and I realized that it took me a couple of weeks to realize it. But once we started doing it, I can see instant improvement in our guys. And, and every day we just had to get on the floor and teach. And we played a lot. We played uh -huh. way more than most teams did, but we would just cut the times down. You know, yep. it'll, it'll be like a three-minute game or four-minute game or two four-minute games. Right. But that's enough to, for them to get up and down, play fast, make a few mistakes, yep. and now recover from there. Do you ever have any type of selfishness where it's like, I have to develop these guys. I also have to, you know, kind of steer the way I think what's best in order for us to somewhat win sooner than win three or four years down the road. You know, because you see certain coaches like Lloyd Pierce only got two and a half years or the Jock Vines yeah. and so on. You know, it's, it's extremely difficult. Um, every organization you know, you, you have to be really aware of what the expectation is. Um, and I have ha high expectations for our team, for myself, um, for our organization. And coming in, I didn't really speak on it a lot, but I had them. And, and you know, one of our expectations we met was being a playoff team. But, you know, there was times where, to be quite honest, I had to I had to get on some of our young guys and I won't mention any names, but if he sees this, he'll know who I'm talking about because this kid can be special, but it was, it was just taking him time to understand the game, understand his, his importance on our team. And I just, I would tell him all the time, you have a definable NBA skill that we need today, not next year, <laughs> not two years from now, not three years. That's we big. need it right now <laughs> yeah. and you can give yeah. it to us. Um, yeah. And eventually he, he got better and got better and got better, and he played big for us down the stretch. So you have a pretty good way of, like, motivating Pete. Everybody talks about your 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 speech versus the Clippers, I believe. Yeah. When you look back on that, are you like, holy shit, that worked? Or did you know it was going to work and you knew you had to tap in and got? To be honest with you, man, um, <laughs> I was walking down the sideline, and they had made their run, and it was coming down to the end of the third quarter. And I looked at the scoreboard and, you know, it was a 10-point game. And I was like, dang. I didn't say it, but in my mind, I'm saying, you know what? We had a good, we had a good season. Right. And I quickly had to switch and say, ho, 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 ho. We got a whole nother quarter. But then I said to myself, if I'm feeling that, what are they feeling? 
in the coach's huddle, I said, I got to go in this huddle and I got to give us something. And honestly, I didn't know the cameras were on. That wasn't meant to turn into what it was. It just came out of me because I know how hard our guys worked. I know how hard our organization works. I know what it took to get to this point. And I know what this platform playoffs will do for our franchise down, down the road. And we just can't get, we can't just throw that away. Like that's right there for us, but we got to go get it. And that's what that was. It was, it was, I was talking to myself, but I, I know our team was feeling the same way. And, you know, when, when a lion roars, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and talking as a, uh, African-American coach and, you know, we we always, you know, there's the Rooney rule in, in NFL that hasn't quite worked out. or And then there's this perception that, you know, players don't have as much success as coaches. We played with, um, who's our point guard? I'm tripping. Andre Eddie Cheeks. We, 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 had, we, had, we had Maurice Cheeks. Yeah. You know, he's, we would say sometimes, man, they might get me this week. Man, they might get me. Like, the energy was always around, you know, playing in Philly. Yeah. Somebody got to take blame. Right. How do you keep yourself from venturing into those negative thoughts and just keep pushing through and your thoughts on the responsibility and the pressure you have to perform as an African-American, you know, head coach in, in, in one of the major sports in, in the world? Personally, for me, it was it was starting with this faith in God. Um, mm -hmm. I'm here for a reason. Uh, what is that reason? And, and the reason is to, to serve. And um, over and over again, and you guys know this because I'm sure you do the same thing, but when you evaluate your lives and where you are today, a lot of it has to do with the foundation that you guys were given, but also you guys stayed the course. And no matter how tough it got, Dre, high school or where you were ranked or what people thought of you, you just stayed with it. You stayed with it. Yep. You stayed working. and eventually. Because of that level of focus, that level of faith and belief, you prevail. Yep. And yep. I went back to just the basics. And the basics are we're going to come in every day. We're going to watch film. I'm not going to change who I am. I ain't cussing nobody out and doing all that stuff. And, and I even thought about that. If I was doing that, that's nobody would ever heard that speech. Nobody. Right. If I was cussing right, guys right, out, right. they'd be like, this dude is a jerk. Right, you right. Know, that would have came off so, so different. And I just yeah, dudes I, hate when the camera's on. Yeah. And the coach try to give you a pat on the back. It's like, bro, yeah, you don't act like, like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> so just trying to stay within who I am. Yeah, I was disappointed and upset. And the hardest thing is to come in that locker room after those tough losses and look the guys in the eye and and say something positive. Now talk about, you know, we're talking about coaching and we talk about analytics and we talk about feel. Yeah. And, you know, you've seen both sides of that, how sometimes uh, the decision is made based on the data. You know, I was, uh, I was arguing with, I won't say who, it was a scout for another team. And we got an argument over which way to send John Morant. And he says, John Morant's percentage going left is the same as the shooter's percentage going right. So it's not one way we should send him. <laughs> I'm telling this man, I just watched this dude for 30 minutes. He, and film. He going left. And he went left all but two times. Yep. Now, he made it going right. One was just he had to use his ultra athleticism. That was the only way he would make the shot. And the other one just kind of rimmed in. So then 
I'm looking at his data. It says, you know, when he goes right, he's at 56%. When he goes left, he's at 56%. So I'm like, okay, I see that part. But it was a column next to it, and I felt disrespected because I'm asking this scout, well, you're showing me this as if I don't see the column next to percentage, which was frequency. Mm-hmm. The frequency was he went left 70% of the time. That's he went crazy. right 30% of the time. And I was flabbergasted because I'm I'm saying, listen, man, this is what you do. How are you not putting this into the equation that he goes left 70% of the time? There goes the scout right there. And now tell me, what do you think your minimum uh, basketball level <laughs> participation should be for a head coach? Is it middle school? Is it high school? Is it, you know, D1? Is it uh, semi-pro? Is it pro? Like, what do you think the minimum is for uh, a head coach in NBA? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Yeah. Just, you know, I just want your take. Be quite honest. I, I, I don't have the answer to that one. I mean, I think. That- What's your minimum? What's you hiring? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good question. You got some tennis players on, on I'm, staff. I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting with good people. Try to try to hire okay. some good people, high character. Uh, but basketball, you know, it, it's a sport that you can learn, mm-hmm. that you can get better mm-hmm. at. You can study, and mm-hmm. you can get really good at. I think the hard part is that somebody that's played at an extremely high level, and they have both. So they have the the playing experience, but also the same amount of knowledge. They just they just more dangerous because they can lean on that experience to know, like you yeah. said, Dre. You watching John Morant and his frequency is seventy percent going left. I, you know, just from just from that alone, if you flip that and he went seventy percent to his right and thirty percent to his left, I'm sure his right hand percentages will be down. Is he capable of yes. scoring right? Going right? Yes, but. Yes. What am I willing to live with him having to go right and make a shot over my left? And um, that's something that you get from studying, but you're, you're playing and you're feel and you've guarded you, both you guys have guarded mm-hmm. these type of guys all your careers. And so you have a good understanding what to do. I'm, I'm you know, not as high as of a level as, as you guys, but because I've played in those games and I have an understanding, I can use both. I can use my experience. I can use the analytics and then just come up with the best possible decision that we can. But as far as coaching, I think that the beauty in basketball is that it's so global that you're going to get a ton of people that haven't played the game that are active participants and that are valuable to franchises. So I got a question this year. Obviously, you you had a lot of hurdles to jump over the one in 13 start and everything like that. But how about when uh, your franchise is out most of the year? How did you keep the energy and the emotion around, like, the morale up? Because at the end of the day, you know, sometimes when the franchise isn't around, a lot of people are like, if he's not, quote, unquote, taking it serious, why should we care? Yeah, you know, first of all, with with, uh, with Z in particular, that's who you're speaking about, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, he. I think people forget that he's 21 years old. And he is navigating recovering from injuries. And he and I have spoken about this. I've had to deal with him. You guys have dealt with him. It's hard, man. And, you know, I wish that people could be as mature as he is at at times. That's a lot on a 21-year-old guy. We put a lot on young guys and a lot of responsibility, like him being the franchise when – 
those responsibilities take time to, to it takes time yes. for him to grow into that. Um, yes, sir. but you know, he's, those are things that he was working through. And then for, for me and for the rest of the guys, we had to come to, to, to grips with the fact that we may not get Z back, but we have more than enough in this room. And yeah. if you guys mm-hmm. believe in each other, just like we believe in you, let's get to work. Like no excuses, no, Oh, I wish. No, you guys in the NBA, this is an opportunity. And let's take advantage of our opportunity. And if we get Z back, great. We're going to be that much better. But we can do it with this group. And that was the message to the team moving forward. And, and the guys, just they just stayed with it. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, kind of harp too much on your players. But Dre and I are a big fan of B.I. And we don't think he gets enough credit as like I a think worker. franchise. No, no, that's my personal. No, 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 you think he's a superstar and everything, but in the same voice and same breath, we cross over that. But you know, I don't think he gets enough love or credit for how he prepares, how much he competes, how unbelievably skilled, skilled and everything else and he is, man. Tell us a little bit about Brandon and what he done. He's done for your franchise, your core, along with CJ McCollum. Brandon is a real deal, just like you guys said. Yeah. Um, he's a pro. He's he's. He's mature. Um, he is a gym. We got to kick him out the gym yeah. because every day he's working, every day he's trying to do something to get better. We send in text messages to each other late at night talking about film, sending each other clips. He's watching game after he might watch two, three games a night. Uh, he may watch our games. He may watch other games. But I love that dialogue with him because it just goes to show like how far he is um, in terms of his mentality and what he wants for himself and for his for for his team. High character, you know, just just got a lot of love for him, man. And I think you guys are right. Like he he just doesn't at least right now, he didn't get the credit I think he deserves. And he's an unbelievable teammate. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so proud of Brandon because. He just works at it, and he wants to be great. He he wants to do the right thing every time. Uh, unbelievable player to have on our team, and um, I think his future is, is bright. I think we're just really starting to see what he's capable yep. of. I think he's going to just continue to blossom. You know, speaking to that, you know, as a head coach, you have a duty to win basketball games, but we know African-American men, you know, and then, you know, what is it, 75, 80% of the league is African-Americans. And, you know, there's a duty there, too, to make sure guys are right off the court. So, you know, what are some of the things that um, you're preaching to the guys in terms of being well-rounded and how they are as humans can make them better basketball players and then vice versa? You know, how that work as they put it on the basketball court can translate into helping guys identify what they want to do and be successful when it's all said and done. Because we know that window's really short. Yeah, you know, just we have life talks where we just mm-hmm. instead of watching film, we'll talk about just stuff that's going on in their lives. Um, I just believe that one of the reasons that I'm, I'm I'm blessed to have this opportunity, Dre is is an ET, is because I said it before. If if the guys only become better basketball players, I didn't do a good job. You know, I I truly want them to become better men. Uh, better fathers, better husbands, better educators, better with their money, whatever it is. And those are conversations that we kind of, you know, we'll have them from time to time just talking about life and and how, number one, they've already won. And right, right. I don't think people give athletes enough credit 
you already won. You make it to this level in basketball. I don't care what your what number position you are, one through 15, 17, you already won. You guys are yep. pillars in your families. You know, you're taking care of folks at 20, 20, 19, 20 years. Like you winning. Now, let's use this platform to add to your legacy. And, and those are things that we discuss as a team. 100%. I got a random question. It's probably like a tough time, but I remember you were killing in Philly. You love playing basketball so much. You got injured during contract year. Yep. Like during that situation, like what was your mindset like, especially considering you're coming up on money that could change your family's lifestyle? Yeah, well, I, people don't know that story enough. And I tell mm. it and people are in awe. So I want you to kind of give the listeners the <laughs> kind of go all the way back to, you know, you got the offer or when it happened yeah. and then what occurred after that. First of all, just stupid. Uh, I shouldn't have been playing in hindsight. So I was we were negotiating my contract at the time. And, um, you know, I was back at St. Cecilia in Detroit and we, I was playing in a pro-am and people, I, I think people think I was playing in a pickup game, but I, I was, I was playing in more of a control against other pros, against other college players and, uh, made a move, went to the basket. Somebody ran into my leg. I didn't know at the time that I had a torn ACL. So we, we, a few days later, we agreed to the deal. I fly into Philly. And uh, I'm talking to my agent. I'm like, what do I do? And uh, we talked it over. And, you know, it was important that I tell the team what I was feeling, what I was dealing with. Uh, now, at the time, you didn't have to take MRIs and do all of the stuff that oh, no. people have. to. Okay. Nah, you didn't have to do any. Matter of fact, I passed the test. Let's just okay. say that I passed the test. <laughs> Could have easily went and signed my deal. Um, yep. But. I talked to Billy. I said, Billy, man, look, I just want y'all to do y'all due diligence before I sign. I hurt my knee. Billy was like, all right. He wasn't thinking none of it. And then he called me late that night. I had passed, passed the test. Doc was like, you got a sprain MCL, you good. And Billy was like, just to be on the safe side, I'm going to get you an MRI in the morning. I was like, okay, cool. So I get the MRI at a press conference later that afternoon. And uh, Billy, didn't, he, couldn't oh, wow. call, he couldn't even call me because he was so messed up. My agent had to call me and said, hey, man, you got a torn ACL, MCL, meniscus. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the Sixers won't be able to sign you at the time. So in hindsight, one of the best things that ever happened to me. I learned at that moment that basketball can be taken from you at any given time. And if God gives you this gift, you got to take care of it. And uh, thank God for the Sixers. Thank God for Billy. I, you know, we worked. Stayed together. I worked hard. And the very next season, the same time, I signed the exact same deal. And he kept it on the table for me. So I'm, I'm appreciative wow. of that. Yeah. No, nah, but I always tell that story because I tell people, you know, Willie, Willie actually, he went to the team and told the team, like, listen, yeah. something ain't right with my knee. Because they didn't see it. Mm -mm. And I said, that that is bigger than you actually know for you to. Because yeah, they wouldn't tell you if someone <laughs> right in your knee. Especially... <laughs> Especially for a trade deadline. But <laughs> no, baby, you good. Uh, you know, and, and I had some help in that. Like, I didn't know what to do. Um, but oh, right, right, you know, right. My Aaron, Aaron Goodwin, he was he was good. And, okay. and Noah Kroom, they, we talked it all through. And they was like, mm -hmm. look. Noah Kroom. Mm -hmm. They was like, man. They was like, what you think? I was like, yeah, I think that's the right thing. We, I got to do it. Like, I wouldn't even feel, I wouldn't even feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, but it worked out for me, man. I'm, I'm grateful. That's super dope. And, and you know, turning into 
you know, the success you've had with the team this year, now there's expectations. Yeah. You know, you know, are you feeling any pressure? You know, are you headed, feeling any pressure heading to next season and you're not sneaking up? You said it. You, you we can't sneak. We not we aren't sneaking up on anyone anymore. So kind of walk me through, yeah. you know, what your roster. what your, yeah, with that <laughs> roster, you know, what are you looking to do this summer? And then what are your plans in terms of expectations going to next year? So, to your point, there there's definitely pressure and there's if you, you don't even take these jobs if you can't deal with pressure. Uh, right. That's a big part of what we do. We have to navigate pressure and navigate those type of situations and try to steady the ship. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's expectation after what we did this season. And we want that. We should want it. We should want to go right. into the season um, with higher goals, higher expectations. But what that means for us is that our summer work should indicate what our goals is. And we start workouts in about 10 days or so. Uh, our, all of our young guys will be back. We'll be going four days a week. And our first meeting together will be just this. Like, look, keep, it, keep celebrating this season. Keep enjoying it. But eventually, we've got to turn the page because next season, it's all about concentrating on our goals and our work should indicate that. And if you guys are saying you want to be great, then I shouldn't walk in the gym and see mediocre work. It just shouldn't happen. Oh, speaking of, speaking of that, you watching how many games? You watching every game this year? Uh, yeah, I'm going yeah, to watch all of our games from last season. You know, one, Dre, one of the things for, for, for me or for this generation of coaches or what have you is like putting the work in. Mm-hmm. You guys know when we get in mm-hmm. those huddles, you know, what it's, what it's about. And, and yeah. if guys are on top of this stuff, you guys as players have confidence and respect for us. And I got to put mm-hmm. the work in. I'm not on the level of Doc and Steve and Monty and Ty Lue and some of these coaches. I got to put the work in. And a part of that is going back, watching film, looking at our team and how we can be better. Those are things I, I, I feel like I have to do to come into this season with fresh ideas and how can we improve in, in a few areas and, and maintain our, our foundation. So – I'm trying to figure out if this is something I ever want to think about doing. How many golf rounds you getting in this summer? <laughs> I don't know. I, I can tell you this. So I, I didn't touch my clubs since September. I just picked just picked them up literally um, t- a few days ago. And then I met Blue and Rob ah, and all of us. We, oh, we, went, yeah, to, wow. we went to Ennisbrook okay. and I played terrible. So, Ennisbrook <laughs> oh, right. is a tough course, man. I played there uh, one archer. It's like 2016. Ennisbrook yeah. is tough. It's tough. Uh, and they got 9,000 tee boxes, so you got to pick the right one or you're in trouble. <laughs> I can tell you this. I, I, I lost a lot of golf balls, and uh, I was out there just enjoying the festivities. Right. It wasn't, it right. wasn't about right. my golf game because it was non-existent. Now, I, I want to ask you about two particular players. Uh, I want to talk about Herb Jones and uh, Trey Murphy. And I'm watching these guys play. And, you know, you and I have a great relationship in terms of when you came to staff and you were working with uh, Pat McCall. Yeah. You know, you working with Jacob Evans. And, you know, I always was asking you, like, Willie, where'd you get this from? Where'd you get that from? You know, I was seeing progressions with the guys that I normally didn't see in other franchises in terms of player development. And we've been having a lot of conversations, Evan and I, in terms of where the game's going. 
you know, how are we developing our players to have a high IQ? Are we just telling them to shoot threes or shoot from very far and then play half-assed defense and, you know, just make it look cute and you get by? But what I saw from Herb Jones, the way he defended and the way you spoke about him, that's what gets me going in terms of watching the game of basketball. Like, I'm watching this kid play. And then the way Trey, Trey Murphy's playing with a sense of, like, he's not, he wasn't afraid of the moment. Yeah. And he was super confident out there. You know, what do you think differentiates yourself from other guys or other coaches? Because I see it the way your players are playing. Do you see that? And what's different from what you've seen and how you're doing it? Because I think you're doing a great job of it. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I definitely see it. A lot of it has to do with who they already are. Herb, he, I, I've told people, he actually reminds me of you. Uh, when he, I can see the defense. And his instincts. Uh, he mm -hmm, has unbelievable mm -hmm. instincts. And that's on both ends of the floor. People talk about his defense because his defense is so good. Right. But even offensively, right. um, yep. he'll make yeah. plays that are just the right play. And you turn around and you look, and especially early in summer league, and it's like, uh, was that a mistake? Or And then he does it again. And then he does it again. Right. And then you realize, like, this is who he is. Like, he's a guy that uh, you put him on the floor. You can trust him. He knows how to play within the system. He'll have some big games for you, but he's just going to be solid every single night. And he competes his butt off. Herb's the first one in the gym, last one to leave. Trey Murphy, one of the first guys in the gym, last one to leave. Uh, and we don't make it to the playoffs we don't win some of those big play-in games without those two guys. And it's a credit to Corey Brewer, who works with Trey. Corey Brewer. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, my God. Brew works with Trey, uh, Freya Vinson, and uh, one of our assistant coaches, Darnell. We call him House. They work with Herb. He's working on his jumper every day, just trying to improve and trying to get better. But the IQ part is, is huge for us because we want to be able to put guys in multiple positions. And you guys know if you can't guard multiple positions and play multiple positions right now in the NBA and 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 right. kind of have a really good understanding of offense, it's hard to play down the stretch in playoff games. What do you think uh, about Jose Alvarado? I feel like his energy, his confidence, has definitely helped the young guys as well. I met him a couple of times when he's at Georgia Tech. Yeah, and I always knew his confidence was there. He had a New York to him. But when did you first see like maybe hey? He can help the team a lot. I think this might be a staple for our second unit because his energy is real. His confidence, like when Chris Paul was trying to sun him, he's like yo, fuck off me. Yeah, <laughs> like, man. you know what I mean. Yeah, like man. that, no, that's real. Yeah, Jose, I love like, him, man. Just love him. He, he's like you said. He lights up the room when he comes in. He turns the gym upside down in practice. Every practice, if you ain't ready, if you ain't bringing it, uh, he gonna eat you up alive. And um, it's just who he is. It's who he's been. And it, Herb and Jose. So they're both, they both were defensive player of the year in their conference. So Jose won defensive player of the year in the ACC. Herb won defensive player of the year and player of the year in the SEC. So these guys are like, this is stuff that they've been doing. Right. Uh, so Jose, man, I can't speak enough about this kid and about what he's a, what he comes from. Uh, unbelievable person. Then back down from anybody. Uh, he's just the type of guy you want on your team. I think, you know, that just sums up, you know, I was going to ask you another question, but you answered it right there. 
and we talk about, you know, Draymond, you know, you've been and you've seen Draymond and everyone talks about, you know, the loud Draymond or Draymond gets texts or he got thrown out the game and you see that fan interaction. You know, I was sitting next to a fan. He was like, why does the, do the fans always want Draymond to get a text to get thrown <laughs> out? But they never see the, uh, they don't see the intimate moments yeah. on the other side. And one thing I always give to Draymond and I say, listen, that is a special, unique thing that you have. He's able to tap into those young guys. And you talk about Herb and you talk about Alvarado. He will get on a guy who's not pushing Steph Curry. He's like, you know what your job is? Your job is to keep Steph sharp every single night. You know, if, if Steph's having an off night, your job is to get into him like another team would. So now he's used to it when he gets in the game. So I think it's just little things like that. And on top of that, you spoke to both of those guys winning uh, defensive player of the year for their conference. Yeah. conference. Now we're at a place in the game where and I, I talked to you when we first came on, what are we looking at in our guys anymore? You know, a lot of kids aren't really playing college basketball or they might play a shortened season. They might shut it down. Uh, they might just play off pure hype. And now I think that that's a staple of success. Our guys have an accomplishments before they get to the NBA because, like you said, you made it to the NBA. That's a huge accomplishment. And the access to the league is getting – Kind of iffy. You know, when we came into the league, it was like you had to really make it. Yeah. Now you can sneak in. <laughs> yeah, it used to be called it used to be called hardship. Yeah, like, like you, you had know. to like really dominate. Yeah. I taught the young kids now. Like, what do you think I should do? Like, bro, you weren't hitting on shit in college. <laughs> like, I would be comfortable if you somewhat dominated college. And you honorable mentioned your life away. <laughs> like, 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 you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's um it depends on what the franchise and organization needs at that moment. And some organizations can draft a kid and they know the kid won't be ready for two or three years. And they, they, get, they have the patience to and the player development system to get them prepared and ready to play. You know, there's guys in this league. I mean, even even like a Kawhi that goes to San Antonio and, you know, he got better and better and better. He wasn't necessarily thrown into the fire. Um, I firmly believe that a lot of these kids that come into the NBA, they have what it takes. Uh, mm -hmm. But the foundation mm -hmm. in which you come in is so important uh, right. because it can make a break your, make or break your career. Dre, you and I, and even Evan, we were blessed to come in with Aaron McKee, with Kevin right. Riley, absolutely, with you know a number of these vets that don't let you fail. They make sure you come into the gym, even when you're competing for their positions. They right. still don't let you fail. And yeah. if you can come in, come into the league with in those type of situations as a young guy, it's going to help you. You're going to grow. To, I mean, Kaminga. Look, I mean, these guys are playing with you, Loon. I mean, look what has happened to Looney and and type mm -hmm. of player he's he's become and person he's become because yep. he's in an organization. Dre, I watch you every day. Shoot with the young guys. Take Evan under your wing. You two are like brothers. So that's important too. And when these guys come and they all, all these young guys on one team, that's extremely difficult to navigate sometimes. And, and I think those are things that happen, especially with some of the top picks. All right. Well, I think we're going to finish it up with one last question. All right. I, 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 you might not like it, but you know, a thing you stand on is your faith in being a man of God. Yeah. But on what occasion? Do you lie? <laughs> do I lie? Yeah, what occasion do you lie? <laughs> it's, it's about, huh? <laughs> well, it could be to the kids. 
it could be saying I'm, I'm I'm going to the gym, but going to the golf course. It don't have to be a, a real lie, but you know, <laughs> what, what, when when do the white lies happen? If you can name one off the top, Uh I mean, they, they happen. It's the reason why I'm a man of I try to be a man of God and a man of faith because I need the help. Um, but right, right. You know, there's times where you know I might want to go to the golf course and uh, I, I, you know, say, hey, I'm taking Mason to the golf course. To work with him. <laughs> Mason got game. But I got my clubs in the back too. They don't, she don't, she don't know I'm playing. I'm just taking man. Hey, I'm gonna take Mason and watch him hit some balls and I'll be back. Come on, Mason, grab my wedge, grab my putter. So you know, there's, there's times that you know I tell some tell some small ones, but I try not to do it too often. I got you. Well, um, I appreciate the time. I know you y'all deep in the draft. Y'all trying to get better. Y'all had an incredible year. You know, even without that staple piece, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Please tell him I saw his new shoe. It's dope. I wear a size 16. If he can send me a couple pair. For sure. Uh, but I'm rooting for you. I'm, I'm rooting for you guys, man. Uh, really just proud of you. Proud of what you become. And, you know, you've become an even bigger household name after your playing career, which is rare, Crazy. especially with black men. So just appreciate you being an inspiration with your principles, who you are, and, and what you're preaching to the guys. So Godspeed, and we'll continue to follow you. Appreciate you guys, Drake, E.T. Good luck, Drake. Appreciate Good you, luck buddy. to you guys, man. Yes. And that's it for this episode of Point Forward. For Andre Iguodala, I'm Evan Turner. appreciate everyone for dropping in with us. Please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and make sure you share it.